so all through her life, Grace has been blessed, and she has been a blessing for the kingdom of God. And so I believe we're going to be blessed today by her and her sharing the word with us. Come on up, hon. Amen. And children, kids, you can be dismissed to go. Are they already gone? Thank you. What an honor it is to speak. Anytime you get to talk about Jesus, it's just an honor. And especially at a place that, and my dad's church where I, this is my foundation. These are, this is where I, my roots started to begin to grow. So it's such an honor. I'm going to pray first and then we'll get into the word. So we just thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, I even pray right now that we would make space, we'd make room for you, um, that we would, uh, we allow you even right now to come again in a fresh way and take up residence in our hearts, take up residence in this place. We just welcome you in. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you um, for the promises in John 1. It says, you are the word. We thank you for what it does in our hearts, that it doesn't change. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Yeah, the word even more, um, more and more, as I, the Lord asked me to become, or the door opened for me to be a missionary, I... Um, the word even more and more, the, just the importance of it. And that's why so many people gave their lives for it. They literally died so that the word, we could have the Bible like it is today. And so important to not, to, to just remind ourselves of the importance of it. Though in an age where we have it on our phone, many of us probably have 10 plus Bibles in your house um, just a few hundred years ago, it was very rare to have this book. And there's um, many parts of the earth that don't have this book in their language. I was on an island where the Balinese people, there's a Bible in the Indonesian language, but that language is only 76 years old. The Balinese language, there's not a Bible in their actual language. And so, um, yeah, it's just an it's just important to remind ourselves of the privilege and the honor that we have, what we have access to. So um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what I'm doing now. And I left Austin in 2020 to um, go to a ministry school called Jesus Image. And at the time, it didn't make a lot of sense, but I just felt like I had to be obedient to him calling me to go there in Orlando. And um, I was in my early 30s, and it just didn't make sense to go to ministry school. That's for young 20-year-olds, right? You know, <laughs> But <laughs> I'm so glad that I said yes. And then at the um, kind of beginning of my third year, he started to make it very clear and open the door for me to join a missions organization called Kairos Global. And at the time when I said yes to joining them, um, I told them, made it clear that before my third year of Jesus School, that at the end in May that I would join them. I didn't know what it was going to look like or where I would be, but he is so, he's so kind. And um, I got an opportunity to go and help a training school in Bali, Indonesia. 
so we train up uh, missionaries. So there were some from America. We had um, some from Korea, Singapore, and then local Indonesians at this training school to get an idea of what long-term missions looks like. So that's what the goal of the training school that I have been a part of building. It's such an honor to build and help facilitate it, and that's where I'm going back in April. And it looks like we already have people who are interested from many countries, from Cambodia and Mongolia and China and America and Indonesians who will be at this school. So it's just wild that he would trust me to help train um, people to, to go say yes to the Great Commission. So anyway, I, um, it, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to um, kind of highlight how he's so intentional and you may not even realize you may uh, like get a dream or a vision or be drawn to um, to something, and then you don't realize until years later why that was the case. And so, um, in the beginning of or in this Christmas of my first year of Jesus School, of course I was like I would love to do missions. I had friends who were missionaries, but I didn't I didn't know exactly what where the Lord would take me, and I didn't honestly care wherever He wanted me to go. But I had this really vivid vision, and I was praying, and I started to be able to hear like a, like a whooshing sound, and then I saw um, a person walking through a field, and it's, you know, they were like a, a wheat field, and they had a sickle, and you know what a sickle is? It's the tool that they used. I don't think they use it now, but they used to use it to harvest grain, and, um, but the sickle, when I saw it, the, um, grain wasn't being fully cut. It wasn't, uh, clean. It wasn't sharp. And so there was wheat everywhere. It was pretty chaotic. And I remember just asking the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to show me? And he said, I'm, um, you need to sharpen the sickle. I'm here. You're, I'm going to teach you how to sharpen the sickle and teach others to sharpen the sickle, which basically means to not water down the gospel. And um, so it's so wild that I had that. And then two years later, two and a half years later, he makes it clear that I, um, he was going to use me to help train up other missionaries. So I just wanted to uh, say that as an encouragement. If you have no idea what a dream or a vision will lead to, and just to say yes to the daily, to daily reading your word, to daily um, spending time with him, daily being responsible, taking care of your, your daily assignments. And then you'll never know where it will lead you. And just because I'm overseas, you know, reaching the unreached, doesn't make what I'm doing any greater than what the Lord has called you to do here. And so, and no matter your age, the Lord will use you, wants to, and can use you for his eternal works. And just speaking to people who are 60 and over, as a millennial, we need you. So please don't <laughs> uh, devalue your voice. We need what the Lord has taught you more and more, and we will need it more and more as the dark gets darker. And so you have such, still, a calling on your life. You never know where the Lord is going to take you, even in your 70s, 80s. So. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so I kind of wanted to go into, I was just praying and asking the Lord um, what he wanted me to teach today. 
And I didn't want to just talk about missions. The Lord taught me so much um, when I was over there. I had, before I went to Indonesia, I had my, the longest mission trip I had been on was like a week. And so then I was on a plane and I'm like, ended up being over in, um, overseas for six months, training missionaries, not necessarily one myself. But when you just say yes to the Lord, he can use you. So you don't have to, he doesn't qualify you the a lot of times the way that the world will qualify you in the natural so um but I wanted I really felt like the Lord highlighting Colossians 1 specifically starting in verse 9 we'll go start to go through that but Colossians is just written um Paul wrote Colossians is so important (laughs) but I think one of the biggest things about Colossians is it it just helps um, fully refute anything that can come against your foundation in Jesus. And the reason that it does that is because Paul wrote it for a purpose. And the purpose he wrote it to, and well, real quick, it is a, it's a beautiful reminder of what the gospel, the gospel as in um, what Jesus did for you on the cross, uh, death, burial, and resurrection, and his second coming, and the true lordship of Christ should and can produce in your life. But the background of, Col- of uh, Colossians, the, of the city, Colossae, is very interesting. Um, so Paul was actually asked by the church leader to help in dealing with false teaching that threatened the church. He had never been there before, but his converts, people that he directly um, um, interacted with when he was in, in Ephesus for three years, was now in Colossae. And he, Paul was in, uh, it was his, most likely his first imprison, imprisonment in Rome. And so um, basically what, what was threatening the church was an early form of Gnosticism, which this really grew um, in the first um, early centuries of the church which taught that Jesus was not fully God and not fully man, but merely one of the semi-divine beings that bridged the chasm between God and the world. He therefore, so he, speaking, meaning Jesus, therefore, this is what they started to believe, that Jesus was said to be lacking in authority and he wasn't able to meet their needs. It was taught then that spiritual fullness could be obtained through special knowledge and rigorous self-discipline. So when we're reading these verses, let's read it through that lens. When, when I read, when I was really reading up um, on the background of Colossians, like, wow, that kind of, doesn't that sound like today? Even we, many will say Jesus is God. Jesus, I believe Jesus is real. I believe he died on the cross for me. But when they live out their life, are they really living it out that he meets every need? And so that's what the word when you read Colossians, even if you don't realize it, um, we can. St- that's why the word is so important daily because it reworks, it destroys false um, teachings about Jesus, false um, ideas, false or lies that will come in when we're just daily in the world. I and mean, we have to be in the world. We have to live and work and be around people who don't know him. And so that's why is the Lord makes it very clear to daily die to your flesh, daily read, daily spend time with him. No one is good enough to have an, one encounter with Jesus and then still be just as burning and on fire for him 10 years later without daily making the choice. 
And that's what Colossians really helps us. It's one of it's a beautiful chapter. It's what the, I really started to lean in on and use as an anchor um, when I was overseas, when I was on an island that was called Island of the Gods. Um, <laughs> and we would in the prayer we had a prayer room. Thankfully, I'm a part of a missions organization that as much time as we spent teaching the students and as much time as we spent doing outreach, we spent in the prayer room. Praise God. <laughs> because um, prayer, when you are in a place like that, or even in America, and there's so many big issues, and like I feel overwhelmed. There's no way that my, my, by myself can, can handle it. <laughs> I, can't, I can't turn a whole island to know the Lord. There's unreached people everywhere. There's you know, human trafficking, all the crazy stuff. That is, there's a strong Islamic rule over that whole nation. You can't do any of that on your own. And when you feel overwhelmed by it, you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit, what are you praying over this island? What are you praying over this nation or over my city, over my family? You can hear the, his divine prayers and then you pray those out. And I promise it's like, I don't have words to describe the peace that you feel of like, I, kn I know I did as much as I could today because I sat, spent time on my face praying what you're praying over this island or this city, or your family. And so one of my favorite prayers was, I, I would pray like, Holy Spirit, I bind Bal the Balinese people to the cross, or I bind this to the cross, because I know the power of the blood. And so, um, but I just, but in Colossians 1, we're going to start um, in verse 9, is it just starts to just kind of break down this this, this thinking, and just, again, over and over talk about how Jesus is above everything. He is fully God. He is fully man. But one thing I wanted to highlight, well, I'm going to read it, but it's just how Paul really started to address it. He didn't start out saying they were bad. What did he start out? He, one of his first little verse nine, he started out with a prayer. What was he praying over them? It says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all his wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So he started out before addressing the deception and the false teaching and basically saying, how could you think that Jesus can't meet all your needs? What's wrong with you? He didn't start out by that. He started out with like, this is what I'm praying over you. This is So even for yourself, if you feel overwhelmed with a friend or a family member, even if they're in sin, and you have the right to call it out, yes, call it out, but how powerful would it be if you started out a conversation with this is what I'm praying over you, and this is what I'm going to declare in your life. And then, as we see, he will, he does address things. He really addresses it in chapter 2, which we won't get to, but he's very clear. He's very uh, abrupt, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> but um, in verse 10, um, I to me this really highlighted, and I saw that in another place I was reading about it. Also, this the commentator he also thought the same thing was it 
really highlights to echo Jesus's words in John 15 about abiding in him. So in verse 10, it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. In John 15, 7 and 8, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you may bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So there basically Paul was, you know, praying over them and declaring over them Jesus' words that they would be fruitful when they abide in him and his, yes. So, um, and then let's see in verse 12. So 11, again, is just, it's a declaration of when you're walking filled in the knowledge of his will. So what does he have for your life, for the time period that you're in? Um, that 11, you'll be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So again, he's saying, I know that you're in a, you're in a place that many people uh, worship other gods. It's not easy to be a Christian right now. This is first. He's writing to them in 60 AD. This is first century. This is Christians that are getting martyred all around them. He knows it's not easy, but he's saying, "When you, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of His will of who He truly is, and that even in suffering, even in hard times, you will walk in joy." Even when things aren't easy, when you have to stand up to a friend and say, no, he is fully God. He is fully man. He is everything I'm going, like my mom even said earlier, quoting in Daniel 3, even if he doesn't rescue us, we will still follow him. Doesn't matter. Um, so, And then in 12, I thought it was beautiful as it, it goes, now it says, we're going to give thanks to the Father. So he's starting to address the Trinity. Is The Father God is the one um, who's, who qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So it is the Father who qualifies us, not our own works. He gain, We gain this as an inheritance instead of earning it as a wage. And again, um, it was written that they were one of the ways in the false teaching was that they would reach spiritual fullness by their own works, by self-disciplined works. And so he was refuting this, saying it has nothing to do with what, you're do what you do yourself. It's not by your own works, but you gain an inheritance just simply because you choose to follow him, love him. Okay, we'll go to the next, to verse 13. So 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. There was a Spurgeon quote. He did a lot of commentaries and his response to uh, the part of being delivered from the power of darkness. He says, Beloved, we are still tempted by Satan, but we are not under his power. We have to fight with him, but we are not his slaves. He is not our king. He has no rights over us. We do not have to obey him. We will not listen to his temptations. That's what Spurgeon would say <laughs> to his congregation. I love, uh, not everything I agree with that he says, but he definitely loved the word and he loved prayer. 
You know, he built, I love to say this about Spurgeon, is in London Tabernacle, underneath the um, platform, he built a space for his intercessors to be underneath him and pray while he was speaking. So he understood the need of intercession and the need of, it's not him, he was just a vessel. So I pay attention to a lot of his quotes because of what I've learned about what his church did and the fruit of his, the ministry. So he knew this. He knew, oh, yes, Satan is still here. We still have to, there's still things we have to, we fight with, but not by ourselves. And he's not our king. We're not under his power. But when you read this every day, then you begin to lean on it, you know, and you know it. And when things come at you, you'll realize, oh, I would start to pray things or even say things out loud. I'm like, I know that's a verse. I don't know where it is. But when you're squeezed, what comes out? And we want it to be the word, not our own stuff. Not my own way of getting to, to handle the situation. I want this to come out. So, <laughs> Oh, thanks. Looking at the time. Sorry. It's okay. And real quick, the conveyed um, and conveyed us into the kingdom is... I just felt like I had to add this in. So Barclay, he was a theologian in the early 1900s. Um, the word we translated conveyed has special significance in the ancient world. When one empire conquered another, the custom was to take the population of the defeated empire and transfer it completely into the conqueror's land. So when, we say, when it says that we have been conveyed into God's kingdom, we should see now that everything we have and everything we are now belongs to him. So that's not just a word oh, conveyed. It's really powerful. <laughs> so, and then in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, yes, we are delivered out of the power of darkness. But what is it through? It has to be through his very, yes, his very blood. Through um, knowing that he's forgiven us. But we have to surrender to him. Okay, Colossians 15, we'll go to the next part of the verses. He is the image. So this is where Paul begins to really refute this false, that he's not fully God, not fully man. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So in verse 15, <laughs> um, he starts right saying he is the image of the invisible God. In the Greek, um, there's a couple ways to talk about image or likeness, but the Greek word um, that Paul specifically used is pronounced icon. Interesting. E-I-K-O-N is in the Greek, but since where we get our natural, our um, more modern word icon, um, it can be expressed in two ways. Either likeness is in the image of a coin or a reflection in a mirror or manifestation with the sense that God is fully revealed in Jesus. So there's another Greek word um, that is used in the New Testament that is used to describe like likeness. And that's what um, it's, uh, Paul uses it in Romans when he's talking about what we walk into. And it's a likeness. It's not the exact 
um, sense that it's God fully revealed. And so Paul used that specifically because he wanted to refute the lie that Jesus wasn't um, fully God. So he is the he is God. <laughs> Paul knew that Jesus is God, just as God, the Father is God. So, um, and then for the part where it says, "For by him all things were created." Again, there is no doubt that Jesus is the author of all creation. He is not a created being. That's important. That's another false lie that he was a created being. When we behold. The wonder and the glory of the world Jesus created, we need we should worship and honor him all the more. So when you read this, again, it just it just brings life to your soul. Like he look what he did for me. Look who he is. He is fully God, and yet he wants to have a relationship with me. And yet the truth in John 15, I still have access to abide in him. That's wild. You know, <laughs> he died on the cross for me, and yet he is. Uncre- the uncreated God. And so, um, yes. And then the la- one of the last things I wanted to highlight in 18 is he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning. And a, um, another cool way of looking at it is, well, it says he's the source of, our, of the church. You know, the source of a river, the head, they call the headwaters, where the, where the source uh starts for that river for that water flow and so jesus is our headwaters he's our source for everything and should be not religion but the man (laughs) the one who died on the cross for us okay we'll go on to the next and so because of all this he is preeminent he is above everything he needs to be above everything in our lives he needs to be what we um what we go to for every need and trust in everything. So 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So this is the promise when you have Jesus as when you put him in rightful place as preeminent over everything, then really 23, if you choose it every day, 23 will will occur in your life. You will continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. You're not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. So I love that. You will not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. No matter what rages around us, no matter if it becomes illegal to be a Christian in America and do this, if you're, we need to be grounded so that we will not be moved no matter what. Yes. Let's see. I'm looking at the time. Um, I th- the word uh, reconcile, um, I think I know that this verse has sometimes has been used. Maybe you didn't. You don't know this as... Um, 
more of a universalism idea of everyone um, has access to the Lord or because it says all things, but it's true. Reconcile. It's not reconciled like it's already been done. You have, we, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. And so we have access to him through the cross, but we still have to make a choice. So I think for me, that was just important to, to point out that um, through, it's through the blood of the cross. Again, we notice where the peace was made. We don't make our own peace with God, but Jesus made peace for us through his work on the cross. And so, yes, the blood of the cross speaks to us of the real physical death of Jesus Christ in our place, on our behalf, before God. The, that literal death in our place and the literal judgment he bore on our behalf is what saves us, believing in it and surrendering everything. And that's why he went on to, in verse 21 to talk about being alienated, and once you were, and who were once were alienated, so there was a place before you understood who, what he did for you on the cross, and that you were enemies in your mind by wicked works, and yet now he has reconciled, so now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And I think it's beautiful again that he talked about the body of his flesh. Paul wanted to emphasize that this happened because of something that happened to a real man on the real cross. So he's been talking a lot about him being fully God. He's the firstborn of creation. But again, he wanted to, um, again, hone in on the fact that he was also fully man, that there was real flesh. Okay. Let's see. So I'm for time's sake, we won't go to the last slide, but um, in verse 27, or you can go to the last slide, but we'll just read verse 27. It says, um, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory to this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, what a, like, what a wild statement. <laughs> This is the Christian's hope of glory. It isn't our own work or devotion to God or the power of our own spirit, spirituality. Instead, it is when G it's the abiding presence of Jesus in you. It's when you have access to, to part of the Trinity through the Holy Spirit. As Jesus um, pointed out so beautifully in John, what we'd have access to, that he was going to be, we'd be the, filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's how all of this we can still, none of this makes sense. None of it can bring us hope or encouragement if we don't have the Holy Spirit. So, In conclusion, and then we'll kind of, I'll talk through a few little things, is um, Jesus is Lord over everything. His blood has reconciled all those who surrender to him and therefore are holy and blameless in his sight. As I was like writing or just praying, asking the Lord, um, I just, this came. You were created to be image bearers of Jesus, to co-labor with him. I just felt the Holy Spirit wanting to just blow in a fresh wind of encouragement and faith with the truths in Colossians 1. When you place Jesus in right order, this is what can happen. So 
27 can happen. 23, you will not be moved from the hope of glory. Or from the hope of the gospel, sorry. And that you will, um, yes, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Beginning, or the end of December, when I was praying for 2024, I was just asking the Lord, like, you know, what do you want to do in my own life? What what can I steward and pray for this year? Like, um, maybe even for the body of Christ, but specifically it was for me. And I heard in 2024, I want to take um, places of surviving where you feel like you're surviving to thriving through dying. And I knew that was the Holy Spirit because I would not think of that. <laughs> so sir, this is what he wants to do. And this, in, in reading the word and, 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 exp- and spending time has, asking the Holy Spirit to, to um, reveal deeper truths in Colossians and all throughout the Bible, he wants to take areas of surviving to areas of thriving through dying. Dying, you have to make sure he's preeminent. He has to be first place. You have to die to your own will die to places um, where you you trust your own way of doing things above him. That's really what was one of the, uh, what produced that false thinking that he wasn't semi, that he was just semi-divine. It literally said when I was reading about them that they felt like Jesus didn't have the authority to meet their needs. And what are areas where we don't feel, we may not say that, but we react by the way that we try to do things on our own or the things that we how that we go to that show that we actually don't trust that he meets all of our needs and it's just every day we have to choose to die to ourselves to die the way that we want to do things and those surviving areas will turn to thriving when we fully yield so I just feel like there's a fresh invitation to put Jesus above every area in our lives, to sign up to die again to anything that we've placed above him or any way to put um, any or any or another way to put it in places where you trust your own way of doing things above submitting to his ways. So, yes, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I just felt like... Um, yeah, I was just praying, and this is what the Lord really wanted, just to highlight, again, that he is preeminent. That Even though there's going to be people around you who are walking in a false way of thinking, yes, Jesus is real, but he can't meet all of my needs, or that these verses will refute those lies. Donnie, I want to invite you up, and we can all stand to our feet right now. Altar prayer teams, you can come up to the front as well. Grace, can you tell us how to be like Jesus and help to meet some of your practical needs or even spiritual needs as you're looking towards the mission field? Can you inform us how we can help you and be like the wind at your back as a local church and friends and family? So I have little cards out there that just uh, prayer requests. And my biggest prayer is just that for the students coming, that they would really, um, they're saying yes to a call to missions, but that they would just meet Jesus fully. And so um, so that's one of my main prayer requests. And then um, 
there's also ways on that card to provide or to financially support me monthly. That's the hard part about missions is to um, ask people to support you monthly. But I, um, everyone, I've heard this phrase before that every Christian is called to the Great Commission. You either are the ones who are sent or the ones who are sending. So if you want to help be in part of sending me, I would, that would be an honor. And there's cards out there and a little sign-up sheet, and I can um, give you more information after. Yes.